Hello, can I speak to David? David's right here. This this is David I'm speaking to? Yep, you got that right. Okay, David, uh, I'm I am recording you. Is that okay? That's great. You can do that. That's perfect. Okay, I have already introduced you as David Churchick. Yeah, you, hey, my goodness, you actually pronounced my last name right. I'm working it. Okay, and you are a Linux user from Canada, right? Is it British Columbia? Yes, yeah, British Columbia. Okay, and I have been trying to get in touch with you for some time now. Yeah, we keep screwing up the sick phones and <laughs> things and blah. Anyway, okay, uh, I'm here now. I am finally glad to have you on the show. And uh, how long have you been using? Linux, David? Oh, gosh, about eight years or so, nine years. Eight or nine, nine years, I guess. Eight or nine yeah, years. Yeah, something like that, because I, I started when I went, was uh, after I graduated from high school, so, yeah. Okay. And, uh, but before that, did, did you, were you a Windows user, or, or? I was a boss hack, pretty much. Okay. Now, what I'm curious about, go ahead. X mode is cool. Okay. Uh, what, what I'm curious about is, is really what brought you to Linux or what got, got got you to use Linux the first time. Well, okay, it goes like this. I was sort of sitting and I was taking a bunch of computer programming classes. And I needed to do a bunch of crap in Windows, but um, I wasn't very good at it, so I ended up doing a bunch of stuff in command line, boss mode, and then my teacher was like, telling me that I was stupid to be even trying to use graphical mode because I don't think that well. He's like, you should try Linux. So, what's that? So he told me what it was, and then I went off and grabbed the CD, and at that time, Royal TTY wasn't on anyone's installer CDs, and SpeakUp hadn't been got working yet, so I had to go off and... Um, actually, I sort of cheated. I went and bought the... Uh, back then we had German distribution. SUSE used to be quite popular, so I bought that thing because it had Braille support. Okay. Actually, I made the college buy it, but... <laughs> 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 anyway, so yeah, it had Braille support, and then I used that for a bit, but once I got bootstrapped um, and figured out what I was doing, because you have to understand that I had no prior Unix experience. Okay. So I did the install, got stuck in a shell prompt, and... I was like, what do I do now? So I started reading the boss to Linux how to and crap, and I got familiar with everything. And then I decided that since I actually knew what I was doing, I would go try, like, Slackware. So I decided to do that and learned a bunch of stuff, and, and I started switching to it. Then someone told me about the Linux from Scratch project, so I decided, well, that's got to be a good way to learn about Unix, so I'm going to build myself that. Yeah. Okay, so. and I've not I've not mentioned it, and I'm sure it's obvious that to anybody that's hearing this now. When you mentioned Braille support and some of the things you did, that you're a blind Linux user. Yep, I don't see a dang thing. Okay, and you've been that way since birth, is that right? Yep, yep. Okay, so, uh, but you've been programming since high school, is that right? Mm, a little bit before that, actually, because my mom had an old 486, so. Okay. You know, you screw around with all the basic crap, which I don't remember any of now because um, I've been doing so much other languages that that's completely gone off the radar. But, yeah. You know. Okay. Now, in addition to Linux from scratch, you use Gentoo, right? I was helping them test, yes, but I think okay. that, I think that 
I think that since they have pretty well everything worked out, I might I might put that on my power PC box to help test, but uh, portage is really annoying. Anyway. Okay. Now, do you do use Slackware anymore? You mentioned Slackware. Yeah, I do. I have it on my, uh, well, the mail server that I upgraded to Debian um, about six or seven years ago. Uh, it's been sitting there, and it has, it was running Slackware for a bit, but I decided I didn't want to do a lot of maintenance because it was just a server, so I dropped the Debian install on. Well, I might have to change that because it looks like Slip broke a few things on my server. So. Yeah, yeah, you played around a lot with SIP uh, when you and I were trying to uh, connect while you were still in. No, Spanish. SIP broke things on oh, no. not SIP. I'm sorry. SIP. SIP. The unstable Debian. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, worked some stuff while I didn't update. Okay. So I have to, I don't know, I might probably, well, I'll probably, what I'll probably do is either put fix the busted update or I don't know. I, I generally like to not have too much handholding there, so I'm generally, I generally fiddle with things. It doesn't matter what, what distribution I'm using really, because by the time I get done with it, it doesn't look like anyone's distribution to start with. Okay, I, I was going to ask you about that. Is a, uh, <laughs> did you have a preference? Is, is there one distribution that is, or a group I usually go for, I usually go for ones that are easier to hack. Okay. Easier to mangle because I like things a certain way and, very picky if somebody wants to tell me that something works better a certain way. Like, for instance, Arch Linux has this annoying thing where if you close the lid on your laptop, it assumes that you want to log back in again. Uh. And since I usually work with my laptop lid closed, and then I just pop it open when I'm doing stuff because I have no need to look at the display. Yeah. So if I'm just listening to something, I just flip the lid down so I don't have the display sucking power. Yeah. That's probably just one example of uh, ways that uh, accessibility it, it, it is maybe an afterthought. Uh, it, oh, it is it, all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. People always skimp on accessibility. They always, I mean, the way that it usually gets implemented is that well, GNOME, for instance, doesn't even start accessibility until you log in. Ah. Unless you're on Solaris, because Sun doesn't bother to test. Basically, Sun wrote all the worker stuff, and they don't bother to test on anything except Solaris these days. So, which basically is a big mess for people that are trying to use Linux kernels, like myself. Yeah. Linux kernels are better than any other kernels, from what I can tell. Okay, now what, what is Orca? Because, I mean, that, that may mean... That's the screen reader that comes with the GNOME desktop. Okay. Yeah, it's the, supposedly they're going to make it work with other toolkits, but it, it's basically a big mess. No. So I don't know how far we'll get with that. Is, um, is, is GNOME that the, or that the Orca, is it so tied into GNOME that, that you use GNOME as a desktop or? or? You pretty much have to, unfortunately, okay. because it depends on some deprecated GNOME stuff that is no longer being used, but you still need it, and yeah. it's, and, well, the problem is not so much that Orca requires the GNOME stuff, it's just that there's something called ATSPI, which is this, it's spelled A-T-S-P-I, it's this accessibility technology service provider infrastructure, I believe is what it stands for. Is this part of GNOME too? 
yes, that's real problem because it is is hooked into them. Orca only depends on on Orca only depends on that and some other stuff. But the problem is that speed is so stuck on GNOME that there's no way to remove the GNOME dependencies so you end up installing a full desktop even though I would be perfectly happy if I just had a terminal that could execute one or two GUI applications Yeah. actually like one GUI application because the only time I really the only thing I really care about is like Firefox for getting at websites that absolutely require some weird scripting thingy okay now this this Orca this, this screen reader functionality is is it full functional? I mean... Yeah, you can use it for pretty much everything. It's slow as hell, though, because... Um, well, because right now, they're in the process of making it use Dbus to talk to everything. And so Dbus is already overloaded because everything on the system, including HAL and GNOME and KDE apps and whatever the heck else you may have running, is all using Dbus, right? Yeah. It so, and then they want more yeah, now they want Orca to use Dbus, and just so you're aware, every time, every event that happens on a screen gets sent to Orca. So if you flip to another window, there's a focus change event that gets sent. There's, you know, an event saying that another window got popped up. There's about, oh, like, I don't know, 10 or 20 events that happen just because you went to another window. Wow. And then if you press a key, there's a bunch of keyboard events that say that you pressed that the key got pressed down and then the key got released and then that fires off some processing by ASPI to see whether that was an Orca key and if it was, then it does stuff. So basically what they're doing is they're hammering Dbus with thousands more events than they would have if they weren't using Dbus. And it basically means that if you ever get a debus crash, you'll take out the whole desktop and the screen reader and have absolutely no idea what's going on on your machine, unless you have some sort of console access. Wow. That, yeah, that does sound like it was uh, a yeah, well, the retrofit. <laughs> yeah, the problem is you've got a bunch of sites of people designing access software that they don't depend on, so what ends up happening is they don't need to use it so if it breaks it's not a big deal yeah like the pulse audio people they take the attitude that if your sound server dies it's not critical well if i'm sitting on a laptop and my sound server dies and i have no serial port on my laptop and no usb braille display to hook up to the laptop then i have no idea what just happened yeah because you just killed my sound server so i mean people think about this stuff but I always take the approach that no program should ever crash under any circumstances, and if it does, it's a bug somewhere. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have some people who, they go, oh, it only crashes randomly, and we're not really sure, so we don't work to fix the bug. And so, this is the other reason why I use Linux, because the kernel is really stable, and, you know, stuff doesn't crash. Okay. But you knew that. Is there... Do you use Linux because it, it, it best suits your, your needs? It, you know. Yes, okay. yes, because you can't you can't customize every inch of a proprietary operating system. It's not possible. Yeah. You can't decide that oh, I don't want the configuration files to live there for whatever reason or whatever. I, I would imagine that there's a, a a large amount of customization that you have to do when you install a distribution. Oh, yeah, there's stacks, like, because most of the installers don't come with a screen reader, for one thing. 
So the first thing you end up doing is either installing Braille TTY, or my Braille-less bug is crapped out, so I don't have that installed right now. But if you have a Braille-less bug, that'll be the first thing you install. Then you have to make sure that you have screen access. It's getting a little easier if you decide to use GNOME because the screen reader comes with GNOME, so distributions usually ship it. Okay. So you, that usually gets installed, but then, um, you know, if you want console access, you have to run SpeakUp or BrailleTTY or something similar. Um, or, well, SpeakUp is fine, but it's a kernel patch, so you have to patch your kernel, and currently there's some bugs in SpeakUp that you kind of don't really want to put it in your kernel if you can avoid it. Wow. So, I mean, so, but those are being fixed, so, um, you know, it's not too bad. I can see why Linux from scratch would be uh, an attractive distribution. Well, yeah, because you're already, you're already hacking it up already. So. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you're obviously a, a very talented computer user. I mean, you're a programmer. I mean, that, yeah. I'm not. I have, no, I should, I should qualify that by saying that I haven't actually wrote any really large projects because every time I go to write something, Whatever I was going to write has already been written. Yeah, yeah. So there isn't much point. But that's not to say that I haven't hacked various bits of software. You know, I I, I typically will build stuff from C. Like if it's an application that I use often, like M Player, for instance, or um, you know, Orca or whatever. If it's something that I use regularly, I just build it from the development tree because I don't care if it breaks because then I can fix it. Okay. And then I can report a bug or whatever. But uh, uh, this won't be the first stupid question I'm going to ask if it's not, you know, the second already. I'm not. I'm not really worried about it because I have a long history of this anyway. But uh, well, that's okay. Right. Well, you, can, you, can, you can always type your question in a receipt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I guess I. I I think what my question is, I mean, you're obviously, you know, an experienced Linux user, an experienced computer user, and you know, yeah. you know your way around. Is is there a distribution, uh, Linux from scratch, any distribution you think of that you as a, a sightless computer user can install without any hand-holding, for lack of a better term? Pretty much. Most of them you can, as long as, as, long as you can get a distribution. Well, like Arch, for instance, I, I needed to throw something on my laptop real quick because... Our good friend Portage decided to decided to break my uh, package database on the laptop when I was testing Gentoo, so I didn't have time to compile Linux from scratch. So someone suggested that I try Arch Linux. Well, it turns out that their, their install media doesn't have a screen reader on it. So what I had to do was I grabbed a GRML live CD, which is a GRML is a, a Linux distribution for geeks, basically. It's it's a Debian derivative. It's a Debian live CD that has uh, development tools, rescue tools, basically anything that you would need at a console, plus some like basic window managers and crap. But, does, does so I grabbed for that. The GRML. Does that no, it, it's a German word. Okay, because I've never even heard of that one. That's... Well, no, you, you wouldn't. But if you go to GRML.org, it's there. Okay. I only heard about it because someone on those. Someone on the speak-up list said they were using it. Okay. And I went, what the heck? I've never heard of that distribution, so I went and looked at that. But yeah, it's a rescue CD, so, and it fits on a USB stick. Uh, oh. But you need a, you need, I think, a 2 gig USB stick for the full version, but they, they actually have three versions. Well, they actually have four versions if you count the 64-bit ones. 
they've got x86 and x86-64 versions, and they've got like a small and a medium and a large version. The small one is like 50 megabytes, it doesn't include very much. Okay. And then the, the medium one's a little bit bigger, and then the large one is what I usually get, which has all the development tools and everything. So, so basically, if my laptop is completely hosed, I'm not completely hosed because I can pop this thing. I mean, it always comes with SpeakUp and BrailleTTY, among other things. Okay. Because it's for, it's for geeks. So if you're not familiar with the command line, you probably don't want to bother. Because okay. <laughs> it'll boot up into a console. So if you're one of these people that has to have X working immediately, uh, it might not be as friendly as, but it's got everything you're ever going to need. Like you can, I use, when I get a black hard disk, I put it in and build a system for it, so. Okay. So would you consider it essential? I mean, it, yeah, you gotta have a rescue CD around, especially if you're, especially if you're blind. You gotta have a rescue CD because if something happens with your main box, like if your sound server crashed, yeah. And you have no idea what the heck happened. You, gotta get in you can at least boot with the rescue CD and then figure out where you're at and look at the logs and go, oh, sound server crashed, all right. Okay. You, you've just, you've, you ended up rebooting, but at least you've gotten yourself to a usable state and you can, you know, file a bug or you can do something because you knew what was going on. It's not like, you know, or the other thing you can do is you can, um, the other thing it has, which I haven't seen a lot of live CDs have, the reason I was able to put Arch on the laptop that has no serial port, for instance, is because it has software speech, but the other thing it's got is it, you can SSH into the live CD by just typing, there's a couple of things you can type at the boot prompt. One of them is you can tell it to start SSHD and put a password in. So that means that as soon as the thing is finished booting, you can SSH to that machine. Okay. Which is extremely useful. Because then if you don't, then if you need to talk to some other box from somewhere, you know, you have an SSH thing, so it's cool. And then you can sit and work on your big box or whatever and not have to deal with the uh, software speech on the laptop or whatever. Okay. If you're so inclined, but yeah. Now, uh, yeah. More live CDs should do that. They should put, they should have like a little SSH thing. So if you can't actually start the installer, with a screen reader, then you don't really care because I've got four machines. So if you know if if it had an SSH server that I could start at boot time, then that would help. Okay. Now, uh, and it's not something that's difficult to do either. You just have to. Because even my router runs Linux. I have OpenWRT on the router, so. Uh, I, I think we mentioned this before. Right? You and I, we, we've talked previously. Is that, is that a? Uh... Is that a Linksys or a Buffalo? I, I no, it's a Linksys. Okay. It's a WRT54GS. Okay. okay. It's it's there in the sits there in roots my traffic. All right. Uh, now I was going to ask you a question that, that uh, yeah you've mentioned Debian you've mentioned Slackware Linux from scratch uh, GRML uh, mm-hmm. you've mentioned Arch it, are there any distributions that are just abysmal failures when it when it comes to uh, any distribution that doesn't have some text mode way of installing it is a failure. Okay. Because that way, um, well, even Fedora, for instance, they don't have SSH access, but they have a telnet installer you can do. Okay. So you can still get the text mode installer if you want to. I don't. I haven't actually fiddled with Fedora. I might, though, but I haven't because it seems a rather large distribution for what I need. So That's, that's almost 
wild that they don't have SSH built in at the boot prong, because I know even damn small yeah. Linux has that, I think. Yeah, like most of them have. But, but what happens is most of the distributions, there's no way to get SSH access, like to punch in something on the bootloader's command line and get SSH access. Yeah. I mean, it's cutting, it's cutting edge. Because you, you can't tell when the machine's booted, right? Yeah. So, you know, unless it either plays a sound when it's booted or something, you don't know. So you just sit there and, and ping the box and wait until it's up or whatever, or, you know, punch yeah. in the SSH thing until it comes up. But, yeah, so. But, you know, in those distributions, if they could make themselves a lot more accessible if they just either came with the screen reader by default somehow. Like, Ubuntu does this, but they do it in a weird way. And you have to punch in about five or six things at boot pro. Like, they have, cause they have those graphical boot menu. Yeah. So you have to punch in a bunch of sequences of keystrokes and it's, it's kind of awkward. Yeah. You can make it work, but it's a real pain. They should, they should just make it so that you can type something in at the, the boot prompt and have it do what you need. Well, are things getting better with, with Linux in, in, in your age? But better than they were. They're better than they were, but, the problem is that we have now is that, that well, the speak up stuff is being fixed. They know where the problems are with that, and they're fixing them. The problem is it's got some issues now that have to deal with the kernel not having its own thread for speak up, and so speak up is sucking the CPU for like several milliseconds at a time and not letting processes have it. Yeah. But that that is worth being worked on and going to be fixed. So that's. That's better than it was because what used there was a time for a while where you'd go and you'd, you'd grab the latest kernel and then you'd patch speak up and it wouldn't work because the kernel people change stuff all the time. Like every other week, they've changed some kernel interface. Yeah. So what, what they're working on now is trying to get speak up into main one. And if they do that, then it'll be easier to get people to have text mode access. Um, as far as the GNOME stuff, there was a time when it looked really promising, but we're running into the same trouble that, you know, people, we can't seem to get the people to care enough about performance and stability to make it work. Yeah, I was, I was gonna ask you about that. I mean, the, the community, the, 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 the accessibility need community, is it, is it large enough to bring the attention that this needed? I mean, how, how does, well, I don't know. It's a lot of the speak-up users. Well, first of all, the problem with any GUI-oriented system is you attract people coming from Windows. Yeah. And Windows users of any denomination don't know anything about bug reports. They don't know <laughs> anything about meaningful feedback. <laughs> so the problem is that, you know, we have a large... and. The other thing that you run into is there's a significant group of blind people that have... They've gone blind later in life. In fact, most blind people have were born like with some sight or whatever, and then they they went blind later in their life. And so, a lot of times you're having older people. Some of them have multiple disabilities, and so you have a bunch of users who expect things to just work and don't give people feedback when it doesn't work. Yeah. And then you have um, a bunch of sighted people programming like Orca, which they need to be there because obviously we can't read the screen if the screen reader's busted. Yeah. So you need to have people with working eyeballs, but as far 
fall into the trap of where it works well enough, but they don't actually need to use it regularly. Yeah. So, you know, the extra performance, they don't understand that you want to have speech or braille feedback as quickly as you can get it. Yeah, yeah your performance needs are, are just like everybody yeah. else's. It's just like everyone else. You, you wouldn't like it if when you pressed a key, you had to wait 10 seconds before yeah. the impact of your key press showed up on the monitor. Yep, exactly. And that's what I'm getting sometimes when I use Orca. Like, I'll, you go to the, because the way that screen readers work is you press keys to review certain parts of the screen. So somebody will say something on IRC and I'll be off in some other console. I'll hear what they said, but since then about five messages came in and so I'm, you know, reviewing all these messages that came in on IRC. And so if I want a certain one, I'll, I'll hit one of the review keys and it might take, you know, five or ten seconds wow. before I actually hear whatever it was that I wanted to hear. And then if a bunch of events came in between the time that that key press got spoken, then they all get queued up and I get hammered with about, you know, a bunch of speech that I didn't necessarily want all at once. Yeah. It's, you know, what if it would just be responsive in the first place? Man, is this something hard, hard work and fix? I mean, can you up, you know, I know no, it's not, it's not, that's not a hardware thing because the box that I'm seeing that issue on is a, is a, it's, um, you know, one of those dual core things. It's got, Okay. It's an SMP box and it's got, you know, a couple of gigs of RAM. So I say. So, you know, it's, it's not a hardware issue. I mean, unless you, unless you want to say that you need a, a quad core to run accessibility. Yeah. I mean, this thing is not slow. I, I usually, well, the reason that I, when I built it, I built it so yeah, I could have a so, fast yeah. box. I built it so I could have a fast box to build my LFS crap on. You know, I don't want it to take. 40 minutes to build GCC, so yeah. it takes about 10, you know. So it's not that the box is slow, it's just that the way that the ASPI and GNOME stuff is implemented. Wow. I've even heard you talk about that in general, about the GNOME stuff being slow before. Yeah. So some of that's, I think what we're seeing is that accessibility is exacerbating a, a, a problem that's already there. Okay. Because what happens is anytime you have accessibility, you put a load on the system because you're sending info yeah. all the time somewhere else. And there's no way to disconnect the video card. So now instead of just sending one set of infos, you're now sending two sets of information. So I think that's part of it. But it could be fixed a little better. If they would do some real-time programming or something, they probably could get it done. But the problem is that so installing a real-time kernel doesn't doesn't help the situation or no situation? because if you can install real-time kernels, but unless somebody knows how to make the scheduler work okay. properly, you know you have to actually like Pulse Audio, for instance, knows about real-time stuff, so it's very responsive. But the problem isn't in the sound server; the problem is in the accessibility infrastructure. Okay. You know, it, it should really have a real-time thread. It should, um, which you could do that with the stock kernel. You actually don't need any special real-time things because it, the real-time stuff is already in the latest kernels, I believe. Uh, now, you've mentioned GNOME repeatedly, or GNOME, ever how it, one chooses to say. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to say. I think it's GNOME, yeah. but yeah. it's but, kind of awkward. So. Yeah, it is. But you've not mentioned KDE. 
because they have no accessibility to speak of that I'm aware of. That that's I, I want to use the word that surprises me. I guess it does. I mean, I I, I just wonder how. I mean, they've been around longer than GNOME. I mean. Yeah, you would think that they would, but as far as I know, there's no way to read a QT application with a screen reader. That's wild. I know they have, you know, screen readers. You know, if, if it was up to me, I would be happy with something like, I was reading about window managers on Linux.com about a year ago, and they had, some, they had an article on something called Ion, which is a basically, from what the article said, it was basically a really minimalist window manager that, had like almost no buttons, but you just did everything with the keyboard. Yeah, I, I thought. And the good. only the only thing that starts up is like a little terminal. Yeah, like that would be perfect for me because most of what I do is from a terminal anyway, except when I need to look at weird scripty bit websites or you know if somebody came out with a. Well, I used Linfound a few times from the GUI just because I was lazy and I wanted to see if it worked. Yeah, but and there's um you know there's but outside of that. Um, you know, there's not really anything that I really, because everything is so efficient from a shell if you know what you're doing. There's not really much point in using anything else, really. Yeah. Unless you have to for some reason. But like, like yeah. Linfone, you said you've used it from a GUI. Yeah, it has a console mode, but I just wanted to see if the GUI one worked with Orca, so. Okay, so I mean, I guess what I don't understand is how Orca works. If, I mean, do you use a mouse with a GUI? No, okay. you use a keyboard. So you the keyboard, the, and that moves the cursor, and if it, if it mouse, it, it, go ahead. Well, what you do is, on the, like, your screen reader has a review cursor, right? Okay. Which is a cursor that is sort of only, it doesn't actually do anything to the pointer on the screen. It It's just the screen reader keeps track of where it thinks that you are on the screen. Okay. But it has nothing to do with... The way that Orca implements it, for instance, is everything on the screen is an object. So you're basically going through this object tree, oh. right? So, um, and then when you want to click on something, then you, there's a there's a key on the keypad that you press that simulates the fact that you clicked your mouse there. Okay. It sends the, it basically sends the click event to whatever program it was you're using. Okay. So, because I can't physically use a mouse for obvious reasons. Yeah. Because you have no idea where exactly the pointer is. Exactly. So that's how they implement it. And of course, in text consoles, you don't really need a mouse. Yeah. Because everything is just, you know, so you just review the screen and, you know, you can, that's basically all you need. There's just commands and they usually move them to like the, the numeric keypad because nothing else is using that, so. Okay. Uh. Yeah. What applications? I mean, uh, uh, you, you mentioned Firefox. You, you mentioned you know, Orca, which I don't know if you call it an application or uh, just a. No, it is. It's a screen reader. Okay. It's required. Okay. So what? What? What other applications? I'm not necessarily talking about just for you know for you to do your day to day computing, but the ones you can't live without for for whatever reason. Well, you can't live without Empire because it plays everything. Yeah. You don't like VLC? Well, I guess VLC has a command line, doesn't it? A command line mode. I don't know whether it does. I haven't tried it. Okay. I might be. I've never. I've gotten them player to play pretty well everything, so yeah. that's just all I've used. Yeah, I know I mean, it, I, it has a very rich command line that the M player does. Yeah, I'm I mean, not sure it, about VLC myself. 
you can basically make it do everything from the command line, including stuff like with videos and everything else. Yeah. So I, I like the fact that it lets you set the video output to null. Okay. So you're not wasting your, your CPU sending video to the video card, but it's not really being useful to you. <laughs> wow, well, I mean, I, I, that's, that's just one of the you know, it, it's something I would never think of, because that's just not part of my... No, you would video. never use that. Yeah. But, you know, it, I would use that because someone would send me like a, you know, a, some video or other that I want the audio from, but the picture is not helping me, yeah. so I just turn it off. But, yeah, so I use that. I use some, um, well, of course... You have to have a text mode web browser run, so I usually use e-links for that. Okay. And then I've got, I use NMH for getting my mail, which is the oldest mail system on the planet, I swear. What, what is it again? NMH. NMH. Yeah, the new message handler. Okay, so I don't know if I've heard of that one. Well, Debian used to install one that was, uh, began with an E. I'm showing my like, supreme ignorance right now. No, it wasn't Elm, it was, uh... It wasn't Elm? No. Uh, email program, uh... Ma- no, it, it was an email handler, I don't know if it's EMH, I don't know... Could, I mean, it could be, I'm it talking. could be EMH, that's an Emacs, that's an Emacs front end for NMH, I believe. Okay, okay. But I'm, I'm, I usually use VI, so... Okay. Is, is VI what you, what you grew up on, what you learned, or what? Well, actually... I wasn't really sure. There was a, when I started using Linux, we had like, you know, Nano and Pico and those type of things. Yeah. And because I'm trying to write code, you don't really want to be doing that in Nano because it's kind of awkward. They don't have a lot of, well, for one thing, they don't make regex very easily. It's disposable, so, and everybody likes regex, so. Yeah. You know, so you had, um, basically I, I asked my, I was, we took a bunch of C++ stuff in school, which I didn't really learn very well because when I was in college, they didn't bother to give me the textbook in a form I could read. Wow. <laughs> so I basically didn't get the degree that I was supposed to. You know, it was, it was basically a mess. Uh. Um, so what I ended up doing is I went online one day because I actually got kind of discouraged with programming and I just sort of left it after that experience. And then I, I found some software that I didn't, I, it worked pretty well, but I decided I didn't quite like it. I was going to fix it, but I didn't know how to fix it because I didn't speak C or C++ or whatever. So I basically went to my friend and I said, can I get a C-Burk? And he said, yeah, you can get a C-Burk. And he hooked me up with a text copy of, of the K&R book, you know, the big original, yeah. you know, terse C-Burk, yeah, yeah. which assumes you already know how to program. Yeah. Good read though if you can if you can manage it. Um, it moves rather quickly, so you better be paying attention. But there's that, and then he also found a, a book called Thinking in C++, which is available on them. So I grabbed those and I started hacking on stuff. And then I I asked him, I said, Well, where am I going to get a, a decent editor? Yeah, I mean, surely there's got to be stacks of text editors for for Unix, right? And so then I got into the whole. VI and Emacs war, you know. <laughs> Pick one and see what you like. And actually, I tried both of them for a bit, but I decided that I liked VI because um, you don't have to know Lisp to customize your editor. It, it takes less fingers, too, is my experience. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it's, I mean, those, 
there's control X and alt X and yeah. whatever combinations just about drove, especially if you type Dvorak, just about drove my hands crazy. Yeah, and I've never messed with a Dvorak keyboard, but... No, I did only only because I have to type lots, because they don't, you know, rail everything. Yeah. So I have to type lots, and I don't... I play the bagpipe as well, so I really don't want to bork my fingers. Okay, we'll get it. Well, I'll ask you a question about the bagpipe in a minute. I, now, I think I learned on Emacs, because I, I think at, at the time, when I started using Linux, is Red Hat 3.9 or, 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 or around there. I wonder yeah. if that was the default editor was Emacs. No, not usually. It, it may not have been. That's the one I ended up using. I don't, I don't know why, but it may just be. Yeah, I, well, what happened to me is that my friend, um, my friend is one of these people that's, that was like, he, he was from the VI side of the editor frame war. So, so he, the guy that gave me the C book and everything, he was like, well, you should learn VI and I'll explain it to you. And so he basically just taught me how to use the thing. Yeah. And if you have somebody explain it to you, it's perfectly logical. Yeah. I think where people get, I think where people get off on, um, the, the, what bothers people is that nobody explains how it works to them. Yeah. Like, people need to understand what it means to be in command mode and what it means to be in insert mode. Um, but what I like about it is that VI or some clone of it is available everywhere. That's like why. Like, I use, I usually use Vim, but if I go to my router, I've got the same editor, even though it's running BusyBox. Yeah. I don't have to go and learn a bunch of new commands. That's why I learned VI. Is Every hard. system's got it. Yep. Plus, it also teaches you things like add and sed and stuff. Yep. Because they all use the same commands, so you're not having to learn, like, a stack of other things. Yep. And you don't... And it does everything you need. I mean, Vim has pretty well every editing feature that Emacs has, and probably some that it, Emacs had to write separate applications for. Okay. Because, you know... I just use that because that works for me and it's, you know, nice and easy to hack. Configuration files nice and easy to read so I don't have to learn Lisp. Okay, now, now you've you mentioned Orca being a screen reader, and but what, what is the the speech synthesis system you use? Well, when I'm at home, I have a DoubleTalk LT, which is a hardware synthesizer that plugs into a serial port. Okay. And, and I like that that because it speaks really quick. Okay, now is that, does that run Linux? Is that something that's like a... a, a no, it's just a box that, um, I don't even think it really has an operating system. It's basically, you send text out the serial port and it speaks it. Okay. And it's got like some ROM that controls pronunciation and other things, but so that, it's, it's, it's just a little box that you plug into a serial port that's got a speaker and a volume control. Okay. And a headphone jack, and you just flip the volume control on them. Have you used any of the software solutions that come with Linux? Yeah, I usually use eSpeak for the software synth because it's the most responsive of the software synth. It, it doesn't speak fast enough, but it's still okay. It's fast enough to be usable, but not as quick as I would like. What besides that one? What are some of the others? The, the well, there's things ones. like there's like Fastivore and flight and uh, I think there used to be on blower voices as well I'm not sure if those are kicking around still but festival is just too slow and too big to be useful yeah 
that you do that. It works great for, for what you're doing because yeah, you're not actually using it for a screen reader. Exactly. I'm, I'm, it's a novelty for me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's cool because it's a nice human-sounding voice. But yeah, and, that, and that's, uh, that, I want to say that was an umbrella voice, but it's not. I think it's one of the uh, Arctic, Arctic voices, I think is what it was. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. They sound kind of, but what I noticed is that when you get human-sounding voices, they suck more computer memory and they don't respond as quick. Yeah. So, now, I mean, when you're talking about when you're talking about daily use, I gen- generally tend to go for speed before okay. I'll go for pronunciation or other things because as long as the pronunciation is consistent, you don't really care. Yeah. And DoublePod gets it right most of the time, and eSpeak gets it right most of the time. So now, I would imagine but, it, that it's a lot like you know for, for sighted people, it's been, it's been shown that they can, and it may be the same with Braille too. I have no idea, but I mean, I, I'm sure your fingers recognize letters like a lot like maybe some... This is complete ignorance on my part. Some people's eyes recognize words, but it's been shown you can leave a certain amount of letters out of a word, and the human eye can still... or the brain can still recognize what the word is. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and... That actually, the way, that, the way that Braille reading works is you actually end up reading every word twice because you're, you're moving your hands across the one... Like you, you put both of your hands on like a. If you had a braille book or a braille display that was yeah. big enough, usually this isn't so true of a braille display because you only have one line of braille and you're you're moving the your controls on the braille display to move the braille line up and down the screen or whatever. But if you're reading a book, what yeah, what you do is you put both of your hands. You don't actually read with your thumb or your little finger because they're they're shorter and a little out of the way. They're not really in line with your other fingers. Okay. So you just use the other three fingers on your on your both your hands, and what usually happens is you start out reading with your right hand, and your left hand sort of follows behind it to keep track of what line you happen to be on. And then when you get to the end of the line, you just move your your hands down and continue. So the side effect of that is that you end up reading every line twice, but over time you learn to ignore the output, the second bunch of output, unless you need it. Yeah. So if you read over a word and you didn't get it the first time, you'll get it the second time. Okay. Which means that it's extremely efficient and you can read very quickly and, and you know, like you say, if I leave out a couple of letters, well, you can pick it up, you can pick it up fine. <laughs> uh, uh. I was going to ask you something. This is an extremely interesting conversation for me, and and I'm I'm listening and forgetting what I was what I was going to ask you next. Uh, Take notes. Yeah, <laughs> hard to do while I'm operating the steering wheel here. Uh, well, no, yeah, no, but you could. You were supposed to take notes before you phoned. Oh yeah, I did. I did actually. I've got my index card in my hand. But and, no, and, oh, okay. Screen reader. That's, that's what I was going to ask you about. You, you, you said a braille reader reads text one la- one line at a time. Is that what you said? Yeah, well, the, the Braille display. The Braille display. Which is basically what it is. It's it's a line of... It's supposed to sit under your keyboard. Like, usually they'll have a, a line of a bunch of Braille cells, and then above that there'll be like a flat surface that you can put your keyboard on. Uh-huh. And so when you slide your hands off the keyboard, because... The one disadvantage of Braille over speech access is that you have to take your hands off the keyboard to read it. And that's what that review key is for? Um, well, that's why there's buttons on the Braille display, so you can move the display around the screen without taking your hands off the display. Okay. Um, so, 
when you're using Braille, you don't have to reach up and hit the, the number pad keys on the keyboard to review stuff because those usually control speech access and then you control the Braille from the, the Braille display. Because you, if you're going to move the Braille display around, you want to move your hands as close to it as possible so you, it's quicker. Um, that's why, like, IRC doesn't work so well if you've only got a Braille display. Now you can do it because Braille TTY is nice. It has a, it has a freeze feature that will make the Braille display keep the same screen image that it had and not bother to, it'll make Braille TTY not update what would be on the screen so you have got time to go back and figure out what was there and then you can, you can unfreeze it when you want the new output. <laughs> which, which means that you can, because there was a time where I didn't actually have a hardware synthesizer, so I used Braille exclusively for about a year and a half. Wow. And I got actually quite good at it. But I'm still good at it, but it's just that my Braille display has gone worked. Because I like having a display for programming. It's much better, because I don't have to listen to stuff like, in main left print, void right print, left brace, I when you say you have a di- a, dis- a display and you talked about freezing uh, yeah. that so it doesn't update that that's in essence a, a page yeah it's basically whatever a screen full of blows okay so you so you could go back and, and review that I think that's what I was trying to grasp is a, yeah. a braille reader or whatever term you use. Yeah, if you have a braille display, you can, you can. But oddly enough, braille TTY is the only screen reader I've seen that actually free, will let you freeze the output. Most of the other ones don't let you do that. But, I was wondering, other, other than a debugger, you know, how, how you would go back and review code that you had written, but I think I understand now. It would, yeah, you, you, do you have review keys for speech and braille that you can do that? And if, and the review keys work all the time. So even if you weren't freezing the screen, you could still review stuff. Okay. It's just that the reason you freeze the braille display is so that you don't have a bunch of, because the way that refreshable braille works is your line of braille is being refreshed in real time just like your, your display is, except that it's braille. Just like speech would be constantly reading the new stuff that came in, your braille display would be getting updated constantly. So what that would mean is that as you were reading, if if you're reading IRC and new stuff comes in, it refreshes right underneath your fingers the new stuff. Which if you you know, which happens of course well you've seen scroll on IRC, right? It happens so quickly that you you have to wait until it finishes it before you can properly read what's yeah. scrolling by, right? So that the same effect of course happens with Braille. You have to wait until it's finished. Okay. And then yeah. you can read it. Otherwise it just sort of flips um out from under your fingers. Now, are, are there any this is, I'm going to have a hard time forming this question, I think. But are there any limitations, uh, stuff you do every day, things that just don't I, don't work the way that, that you want them to? And I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking of is something, you know, specifics like, uh, or I don't know, I, I guess because I can't think of something that is, I should just let you tell me, but, uh. No, but like Linux specific stuff or well, just stuff I, I was in thinking, general. I was thinking, you know, it is and it's probably the stuff you have to get used to, but you know, screen readers and, and stuff like if you're well, programming and, and you've got syntax highlighting or, or, or things well, like that. Well, syntax, syntax highlighting is completely useless. useless. Yeah. You pretty much have to read you pretty much have to read the um 
pretty much have to read it yourself. What is cool, though, is that um, both orcs speak up or read indentation, which does help. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, syntax highlighting is kind of useless, really. Yeah. yeah. What it, I guess what it should do if it finds errors is it, you know, maybe it could beep or something. Yeah. It's, I, I'm that not, would be, yeah, I'm not a programmer. That would be helpful. Seeing as, to me, syntax highlighting is... is I guess a, a reminder for a sighted user, a visual reminder. You know, yeah, it's they like, hey, you know, you, you, need a, you didn't, you need a brace here. Yeah, you didn't put a brace there, or you left out a parentheses on this line, or you didn't put a semicolon or whatever, and it usually highlights the part that's the problem. But you know, it, it should either, you know, it should, if it's going to do that, it should flag it in some useful way. Yeah, you know, I don't know whether it should. Well, I could put something on your status, like on the bottom line of the screen, where it usually displays error messages okay. when you go over that line. It could, because the screen reader will read that, because that part of the screen changed, so it could say, you know, you screwed up here, or something, or whatever it normally does. Some sort of message that says there's an error. Um, Python kind of does that, except that the, um, where it shows you where in the line there's an error, it doesn't actually it does it some sort in some sort of visual way that I haven't been able to figure out, but um, yeah, it, they should they should definitely improve that somehow. I'm not I'm not really sure because I've never actually seen syntax highlighting, so I'm sort yeah. of guessing at what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I sort of am too because I'm not a programmer. I mean, I, yeah, I know you what it is, used, and I've seen it. Yeah, you much. haven't needed to use I've it either. Used so. it that much, yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it also highlight for shell script though? Yeah, I think so. I, I, well, you, you write shell script, don't you? Yeah, but I, I usually... Well... I, don't, I think it's something you have to, to actually cut, uh, physically turn on in a configuration file, which I've never bothered to do, so... Which you've never bothered to do because you think it's useless like me, yeah. Well, or I'm just not advanced enough to, to actually need it because I, I don't write the super long ones or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean... I, I, I scratch an inch only when I need to. <laughs> shell script is just so many, you know, command line... I mean, see, I don't really find syntax highlighting that useful anyway, because what is happening is if it doesn't compile, you know you got issues. Yeah. If it doesn't run, you know you got problems, and then you got a gun. But sometimes it would be helpful if you had it, I guess, because then you're not doing like I am and looking around to find the line that was three lines up from the one that yeah. that actually has caused the error. The compilers are weird, but yeah, that's one thing that's completely useless. The other thing that's, that I find annoying is when people, for whatever reason, decide they need a graphical bootloader. I hate that, because if you're booting a live CD, well, like Gen 2 did this. They, they wanted me to test their new live CD that they just came out with. I don't know whether they fixed it or not. We filed a bug, but they were using the Grub bootloader. I remember when they first went to that. It, it, it struck me as odd. It's not obvious how it is that you're supposed to get Grub to let you edit a command line. Like, if you're using Lalo, which I usually have all my systems boot to, or, you know, SysLinux or whatever, you, it comes up and you get a thing that says boot colon, which I know that because I got the double talk to speak the boot messages that come up with serial port. Yeah. But, um... So you get a text command line, and you just type in your command line and wrap return, and off it goes. But Grub doesn't let you do that because it comes up with a boot menu, and you've got to select what you want and then 
figure out what entry you're going to edit. And of course, you don't have a screen reader or an operating system loaded at this point, so you have no feedback at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of annoying to me. They should just make it a rule that says that all bootloaders should have text command lines that you can just, when they come up, um, and they should always beep too. They should, people should put like a little beep in their bootloader configuration. Yeah. Because like you so, mentioned earlier having the ping box to tell when it's, when it's come up, you know, if you want. Well, yeah, because you don't know. If it beeps at you when the bootloader comes up, then you know, okay, it's, it's ready for you to type an input. Because you obviously can't read the boot colon thing yeah. that shows up on the screen unless you have a, unless you have a synthesizer plugged in. But then the bootloader needs to be told to send its messages out the serial port. Which is going to be useful, useless for most people because they don't have synthesizers stuck to their serial ports. Okay. As, as a Linux user, how, how are uh, as, as far as the number of applications or the size of the repos or just the library, oh, the library of programs that are available to you? Uh, it's it's great because as long as it works on the command line, you can use it. Yeah. Which is cool because that's the problem with like different toolkits is that different toolkits do things differently and so you have to have a you either have to have a screen reader for each toolkit or you have to have a you have to have a different way of getting the information from all the different GUI toolkits but there's only one way of getting info from a text console yeah that, that's a text console is a text console and you can't really I mean it's just text yeah so it's easy to, once you have a screen reader that can process text consoles they all pretty much work the same so yeah. you know that, that's still just blows my mind that, that KDE <laughs> that, that there's no screen well, reader you should get on them about that you should say oh, why, why don't you people have a screen reader you should, because what should happen ideally I would like to see the day when you could just pick a window manager and run your application yeah. and not have to care yeah, well you could sit down I mean, in, in front of a computer I mean there's somebody yeah. else's you know yeah well exactly I mean there. what I do right now is I just haul my laptop everywhere because um, you know, I don't need to worry about using someone else's machine. Yeah. I might steal their network cable, but, they, you know, that might be the end of it. I don't have to care, because most people don't want to screen you on their machine. Ideally, it should be like something similar to the way that Apple does it, where, um, you know, they do a lot of things badly, but one thing that they get right is that they include a screen reader that works with pretty well everything in the operating system, and... You just you go up to the machine and you hit a keystroke and you get a screen reader. Yeah. So you does, know. Does Apple do it better than Windows? Yeah. So Windows. I mean, you can install OS 10 with it with a screen reader without needing any sighted help at all if you have to. Wow. Didn't know you that. You can't even you can't even do that at all with Windows unless you get somebody to make you like an unattended install disk and pray that it goes right here. And the thing, too, with Windows is the screen reader doesn't come with the operating system, so you have to pay an extra, like, $1,000 to get a screen reading program. And oh. it's just, and then you have to pay, like, maintenance fees to upgrade this. It's just a big mess. Wow. So, uh, are there, and, and it's not worth it because you can't hack the software to bits, so it's true. Yeah. <laughs> are there any specialized Linux distributions made specifically for sightless <laughs> There were at one time. I'm not sure if they if they were discontinued. If they were, I wouldn't use them anyway because I think that we should just include everybody. Okay. Like there shouldn't need to be specialized distributions. Yeah. Because it's it's the whole discrimination thing. I mean, I'm not any different than you or anyone else. I just 
there are five laws that don't work. Yeah. It's not my fault. I didn't ask to be born that way. So I don't want anyone thinking they need, you know, some different device. I mean, all they should really have to do is make some device accessible. But, like, for instance, the simple thing that they could do is if you buy an MP3 player, it it could have it. It's already got a sound chip, so it could beep when your battery is getting low or something. Yeah. Instead of just flashing a light, it could beep when you flick it on or whatever, you know. And that's not even a major accessibility feature. All it would have to do is, like, you know, little clicks or beeps when you selected menu items so you knew where the heck you were. Yeah. Um, which is something that Rockbox gets right. They have talking menus. Yeah, they. I've tried those out. Which actually is kind of cool because that way you can make files that will speak your music files. My current player doesn't support it, but... But, yeah. What is your current so, player, just out of curiosity? Oh, uh, it's, it's one of those. It's a creative thing. Okay. Because it, it was the it was the best sounding one I could find. Okay. Um, I was trying to find one of the audio you threw once, but I couldn't find one. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's. I think they still make them and sell them, but uh, and I think there there's a beep feature, but I can't make it do anything. I mean, I, yeah. I, I cut it yeah, well, myself. Because, um, I don't know whether I told you this or not, but I'm probably, you might have guessed this already, but I'm somewhat of an audiophile, so. Yeah, when um, you, when you said you picked one that sounded the best, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of, all of my music that's on my computer is in Q6 Aug, because wow. I don't have enough disk space for FLAC, so I put it in Q6 Aug from my CDs. Well, I've recently yeah. bought my Aug version of my podcast up to Q5, but I don't think it helps out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised for, voice it's, for voice, it's not critically important. Yeah. For music, Q5 is decent, but Q6 is better stereo separation, basically. So if you're concerned about that, I am because I have an M-Audio Delta card in my big box at home. So. Okay. And I got these sub acoustic speakers that sound pretty good. They're not as... Um, I don't believe in buying all this surround stuff because I just listen to music, so it's useless having a surround sound for music because there's only two channels anyway. Yeah, and I've always, <laughs> I'm probably the exact opposite. I, I, I'm like an excessive personality person in some ways. Uh, when I was in college, yeah. my Volkswagen had 27 speakers, and I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've got Which a computer it, it there. It does sound cool because you can't hear anything except music. And yeah. wherever you go, there is music, and it's very loud, and it's very cool. But, but there's no stereo separation. It doesn't It doesn't help with audio quality. No, not a bit. <laughs> no, so, so I would rather have, you know, two speakers and, a, 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 you know, you have to have a subwoofer because the computer speakers are so small that they don't produce bass very well. So. Okay. Speaking of music, I'm, I'm going to have to. I, I could talk to you for another hour, but then yeah, you could. The daycare would kick my kids out, and I would get in trouble. But uh, uh, the bagpipes. How long have you been playing yeah. those? Why did you start playing them? Uh, because it was a difficult instrument to try, and I like a challenge. Okay. So I thought I played piano for a bit, and I discovered that classic like. Classical piano music sometimes, so for some reason, has this hypnotic effect on me, so I just decided that I didn't want to go to sleep. I okay. would actually play the music, so. Um, and of course, trouble with piano and other things is that you get these people, conservatory people that are, well, you're talking about being obsessed, so I will say that these people are obsessed with music theory and 
they're not so interested in whether it sounds good. They're interested in whether it's played exactly as what's on the page. Yeah, yeah. And if you know anything about music, you don't always play exactly what's written because you're interested in playing about, you know, whatever kind of music you're dealing with, which means that you might have to add some expression or, you know, whatever, hold the note a little longer than it was written yeah. for. So, so with bagpipe stuff, there were tunes that were written 4,000 years ago in some cases, so nobody gets to tell you how to play the music. Everybody memorizes the music, so because you can't hook a music stand to a bagpipe. Everybody should memorize their music, whatever instrument they're playing, but with a bagpipe, it's required. Uh-huh. Because, so, and, and, and it's just a neat instrument. It's insanely difficult to play, and I like that. Okay. Because just when you think you've got it right, you haven't. <laughs> you need to go work on it again. Which means that there's always something new to experiment with or play with or whatever. Now, that said, I, I mean... If it, if it makes some sort of sound that could possibly be turned into music, I would be interested in playing it. Uh, now, what kind of music do you enjoy listening to? I mean, I, I would guess a large variety, but... Yeah, have... pretty much almost everything, okay. except for I don't consider... I think that, that rap should just have a C at the beginning, and, and that, you know, because <laughs> I don't actually... Con- I mean, I will say that it is an art form, but it's definitely not music. Okay, yeah. So, and, and I don't like a hip-hop type stuff for the same reason because it's basically rap type things with a different drum machine and some extra synthesizers that are wasting computer memory basically I mean if they would do something creative with the synthesizers but every time you hear them it's always this continuous music loop yeah the the absolute best piece of rap music I ever heard in my entire life yeah. I don't know if you'd call it rap or not but I think it was uh, whatever name he was choosing to use use at the time Sean Puff Daddy Combs Yep. I saw it on Saturday Night Live, and it was uh, Jimmy Page and a yep. and an orchestra doing Cashmere with oh, really? with Sean Puff Daddy Combs with alternate lyrics that he was. Are you serious? Yes, I, I'm trying to put that might actually be cool. Yeah, with, you mean the Led Zeppelin song, yes, right? Yes, yes. yes. That yes. would have been weird. It was great. It was this really aggressive, yeah. angry. Rap. Well, that's because that song's got a bunch of cool guitar stuff. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, Jimmy Page is just you, you could listen to. It. I, I actually. Had somebody, oh, what the heck was it? They got out, they had an album. It was just a bunch of guitar stuff that my friend had. And it was like Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton doing guitar stuff. Oh, man. And it was all like on the same album. And they were, it was just a bunch of guitar instrumental stuff. It was it was crazy, man. Yeah. I um, think the best part of that song, the, the Jimmy Page, Sean Put Daddy Comp song, was the drums. I Oh, yeah. yeah you, who, was, who was drumming? Was it the John I, Bonham or whatever his name is? I don't think the it guy was. From Led it, he may have been. I, I'm not sure, but I, yeah. I, I'll find a, a, a link or a recording. And yeah, find, it, find it, a recording. I'd like to have heard that. Find, I, find a recording of that. That'd be interesting. I've got it. You'll like it. Yeah, I've been known to listen to pretty well everything. Yeah. Like, and I have a, a weird, because I usually just put everything on random. Like, I yeah, just that's what I here, here's a bunch of music and here's shuffle. So basically what you end up getting is you get stuff like, it'll play some Pink Floyd thing and then it'll play some bagpipe solo. Yeah, did you and then it'll go off and play like, yeah, just weird stuff. Yeah. It'll go off and play like some opera thing yeah. after that or something. So, yeah, my music collection's sort of all over the map. I like, I like Radio Paradise for that reason, because they play, yes. you know, 
bits of everything. Yes, cool. they do. They do. And I like the Virgin Radio classic rock stream because it's all like Q5 AUG streaming. Yeah, and I just want to like Stream Ripper. I can fire up Radio Paradise. Yeah, that's and, cool. I yeah, I have, I've done that. Oh, that song's coming on. Yeah. You just sort of rip it, and you don't really lose anything because it was streaming anyway, yep. so. Yep. Yeah, that's the, you know, you don't want to be converting your MP3s to odd files because yeah. it sounds like hell. Yeah. Or the other way around, it sounds like hell. You didn't sit down. Good boy. Okay. I thought you were talking to me for a second. <laughs> no, I was telling Vince to. Okay. Vince I was is, telling Vince to sit on the floor here. Vince is your dog. He, yeah, that's my guide dog. Okay. Uh, David, he I. He doesn't have, like bagpipe music. Though. Oh, I bet not. <laughs> he hates it. So. Is he hasn't gotten used to it? No, he hasn't. Okay. I have to send you a recording of when I get yeah, back. Yeah, do it. I need to go find. I need to go find a good microphone. Have you got any good recommendations? No. I don't have a. I have that USB one that I was talking to you on the. Um, I mean, on, just a good but cheap I don't have microphone. A good, microphone. a good cheap microphone. It's for vocal. I don't know about it, the audio. It's the Shure P38, or I, I probably get the number wrong. Okay. But uh, oh god, I have to go look because the USB. Logitech USB one is good for like voice stuff because it's but anything over about five feet away it starts to drop off in quality pretty good. If you can send me, I, if you can send me something you don't mind people hearing, I'll put it at the end of this podcast. I mean, it's yeah, good. I'll do that. I can't do it now because I don't have my bagpipe here. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, but when I get back, I can send you a recording. Okay, yes, yeah, so it may not make it into this podcast. It may make it into the next. Yeah, you yeah. can you can put you're free to put my. Broadcast my playing whatever than that if you want. Okay, cool. David, I, I usually gonna... record my practice anyways. Okay. So, I'm one of the ways to tell whether you suck or not, just listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, well, with my case in podcasting, it hasn't helped me any, but. <laughs> No, but I, I'm gonna have to go now. But I, I, I should make a. Po- I actually should make a podcast. Yeah, you should. But I don't know. I don't know what to podcast about though. Uh, I think I should just some random whatever podcast. I would listen. I listen. <laughs> send to anything. Yeah. Well, I listen to just about anything too. So Obviously, I probably listen to listen. it. Was there anything? I, I have to go now. But was there anything that I should ask you that I didn't? Um, I think you covered it pretty well. Okay. So, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what kind of comments you get. Yeah, I, I'd like to have you on again. I don't think I've said that to anybody yet, but, I, yeah, I think I could talk to you. Anytime. Okay. Anytime. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. Okay. I'll have to work out my, have to work out my uh, sip issues, though. Yeah, the whole, the whole Canada. I, uh, I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that the, I think that the talk to you stuff ended up working eventually. Okay. But I couldn't talk to what's your name, uh, what's their name, the asterisk server, so. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. I have to, I have to play with asterisk yet. I haven't played with that yet, so I have to. Yeah, and that's something I to need to keep doing. Fiddle with that and see what we can get to work. Shouldn't be too difficult, but we're going to see how far we get with that. But yeah, I should go look for a half-decent microphone. Um, I found some decent headphones the other day, now I'm going to find a decent microphone. I, I got me some, uh, Sen, I can't say it. Sennhauser is the German. Yeah, those are those are good. But yeah. I'm not a big earbud fan because earbuds are really uncomfortable if you wear them for long periods. Yeah, and I, I don't wear mine for more than an hour, but I, I yeah. like them on the lawnmower because I. It, well, you like that. Well, they're uncomfortable if you have to wear them for a four-hour flight. You know, the the in-flight entertainment system sucks. Oh yeah. So yeah. You have to, you know. So I got these these um. 
headphones that are, they just kind of clip onto the back of your ear. Well, yeah, and they sort of sit on top of your ear, which is nice because they don't squish your ear. I don't like the ear cup ones that squish your ear. Yeah. Because those aren't very fun. But, David, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go. My, I actually got a, a, a 10-year-old daughter outside the window of my car. All right. Well, all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you, you can, there you go. You got a big slice of podcast recording, and if people want to listen to my crummy voice for another hour and a half, they can do that. That's fine. This, this was very interesting and fascinating, and I, I thank you for your time, David. Not a problem. Anytime. Okay, we'll, we'll talk to you in IRC. Okay, sure. Okay, see you. Bye. Oh, you might as well tell people well, what my nickname on IRC is in case they want to know who the heck this is. Is, is, it, is Do you pronounce it Kajari? I have no idea. I got it from a random name generator. K-A-J-A-R-R-I, right? R-I-I. R-R-R-I-I. K-A-J-A-R-I-I. Okay. Yeah, don't ask me how to pronounce it. I, I went. I was tired of having people take my nickname on IRC, so I was just like, okay, we were guaranteed to have a random unique name. We were just going. We were just going to get a random name generator and change a couple of the letters, and I should not do it. So, okay. well, I, I'll yeah, talk to you in IRC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, make sure your Arithi still works. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I have more times. <laughs> No problem. You're probably going to make me say about a bunch of times, too. I, yeah, this is maybe the first time you said it. Now, I love to hear Canadians say that. <laughs> yeah, because you can't do it. Yeah, I know I can't. So, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. Okay. Well, my, my friend always gets annoyed when I call it a root or two. Yeah. So <laughs> I try not to call it that. But it's really pronounced a root, but most people, you know, most people have to route their traffic. Yeah, you know. yeah. I don't we, we, we read it up here, so. Anyway, we'll, we'll catch you later. David, thanks a lot. Yep, no problem. Talk to you later. Okay, okay bye. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.